We're going to have five Sundays of Advent. You guys ready for that? I know, I know. There's only four Sundays of Advent. But I was looking at it. And I'm just going to change all of church history right here in tradition. The whole bit. No, not totally. Um, We're going to go through Advent. And it seemed, just looking at it, the, the way prophecy works is prof, the prophets had something to say, and they said it. And that prophecy that they said had a, a very applicable and useful thing for the people that heard it right then and there. At that moment, the prophet says something, the people hear it, and they look and they're like, oh, he's talking about that. And it would happen. But... The prophets would also, in talking about this very current, contemporary to them, real life thing, it would also apply to when the Messiah would come. The promised Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one of God that would make everything right in the world. That would just fix everything that's broken. Everything that Adam and Eve broke, the Messiah would fix. There's only a few parts that explain that the Messiah would actually come, live, be here, do something, and then depart, but be here in the form of the Holy Spirit, and then come back. So those they weren't fully clear on that, but some of the prophets, after you realize Jesus talks about that, you're like, oh, that's what they're talking about. So some prophecies also not only relate to a contemporary, I can see it happening thing, they also relate to the Messiah coming, and then they also relate to the end of the age and and the life to come that will go on forever and ever and never end. So I don't like to call it the end of the world, right? But it's the end of the current age where there's flesh and blood and there's rebellion in the world, and Satan is, is free, so to speak. So Paul says in Galatians 4, he says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. So when Paul says, he says to the Galatians, there was a certain specific time that everything would be fulfilled, that it would really happen. Here it is. And then God would send His Son. Fullness of time had come. God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. That was a big deal. That was really important. He wasn't just a spirit from heaven that would appear like an angel. Angels had come. People had seen angels. It wasn't going to be like Moses on Mount Sinai, where uh, a man that was just a guy that was pulled out of the crowd, which is Moses. Um, Moses means drawn out. He was pulled out of the river, but he was also pulled out of the crowd. He wasn't, he wasn't chosen before birth. He wasn't born like that, sort of. And, um, but he would actually be sent. He would be sent by God. Fullness of time had come. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, and born under the law. So born under the law means if you do bad, you will die. That was the very first law to Adam and Eve. 
Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat from it, you will die. There's a law, right? If you do this, this will happen to you. Now, that was the first law that Adam and Eve had. Don't rebel against God. Submit to God or something bad will happen. Law. The Messiah had to be born into that system. Because if he was exempt from that system, none of us would respect him, right? Uh, we still, I still have conversations with guys, and we'll talk about Jesus being tempted in every way, but never gave in to sin. And then the very next thought is, well, yeah, that was easy because he was God. But what if he took off all of his godliness and was just a man? Then it's a little harder, right? I have a buddy. Um, he is an incredible jujitsu artist. And he trains in jujitsu and he teaches others in jujitsu. He can only fight someone that's equally ranked to him if he flies out to California and meets at this one certain gym where they have people that are matched equal or higher than him. Otherwise, he is like top. So when he trains people in Evansville, he goes up to him. He's like, hey, uh, here, tie my arm here behind my back. Oh, tie the other one too. And he has them tie his hands behind his back. And then he fights with guys. And he still wins. And they say, well, of course you win. You're, you know, whatever degree, super. So he limits himself. Or he'll say, I'll start out both hands tied behind my back, laying on my face. And I'll let you start. And then he wins because he's just that good. He's that trained. That's what Jesus did. He limited himself. When God came in the flesh... He limited himself. He was born, Galatians 4.4. 4. This, this is like the verse for Christmas today. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So we're going to illustrate that by going to Isaiah 7. So Isaiah 7 is a really good example of a prophecy that hits in different ways. So Isaiah 7 um, we're going to start at verse 14. Oh, now wait a minute. We've got to talk about the Bible. I don't do this enough. The Bible, uh, how to drive your Bible. If you open it up right in the middle, you're in Psalms and Proverbs, probably. And then if you want to uh, get to the prophets, you take that right half and you chop that in half. Am I doing that right? I'm doing it from memory here. And you'll be in the prophets. And Isaiah is the longest of all the prophets. So if you've got a paper Bible, you open it up in the middle. You're in Psalms and Proverbs. You take that right half. You bite that in half. And now you're in the prophets. So Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. All right, so this is Isaiah. And Isaiah is talking about his wife. 
And there's controversy about that word. Is it a virgin? Is it a maiden? Is it a young lady? Nah, sort of yes, because they use the same word for all of that. Okay? And so basically, God says, I'm going to give you a sign, Isaiah. And the sign is this young lady that's your wife. The wind is blowing that door open, open and shut. That's what that is. Um, God's giving Isaiah a sign, and the sign to Isaiah, who's a prophet, is to retell what this sign is to the people around him. And the sign is that there's going to be this baby born, and you're going to name him Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God is with us. God is with us. Why do they need the encouragement to know that God is with us? Because a whole bunch of horrible stuff is about ready to happen. It's going to be really bad. Um, I'll just read it really quick. Um, verse 17, it says, The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people something that's so horrible that you've just never seen anything as horrible, and it's the king of Assyria. Verse 18, he basically says, I'm going to whistle. God says, I'm going to whistle and call all the flies and bees of all the nations to inhabit your whole land. He's not literally talking about flies and bees. He's talking about the army of Assyria. They're going to be all over everything, destroying them. Um, Isaiah 7.20, On that day the Lord will shave with a razor what is hired, that's hired behind, beyond the river. I'm going to bring a razor from a foreign land. And the razor is going to shave your head and your feet, and it will sweep away your beard also. You're going to be so disgraced that um, you're going to be forcibly shaved. And the little weird part is that a lot of times in the scripture, sometimes in Hebrew prophets, when they talk about their feet, they mean their private parts. So you're going to get shaved from the king of Assyria, and it's going to be a disgrace upon you. You're going to be disgraced. But God is with you. So doesn't that make sense that God would say, I'm going to give you a son and you're going to name him God is with us. And then I'm going to bring the king of Assyria and all kinds of horrible things are going to happen to you. And every time you look at your kid, you're going to remember God is with you. God is with you. When you go out on your front porch and you call him home, what are you going to be shouting? God is with us. Isn't that awesome? So that's why... God would have Isaiah have a child named God is with us. You skip down. Um, verse 21 it says, In that day a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep. And because of the abundance of milk that they give, he will eat curds. For everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey. This is a really weird verse, right? Like, what does that mean? He's only going to have a, a, a cow and two sheep. The abundance of milk they have, the, the he'll eat curds. It seems like that's not a lot of animals to eat that. Well, it's because there's not going to be very many people left. So if I said, you know, right now at our house, we go through about a gallon of milk a day. And if I said, oh man, when all these kids leave home and go to college, we'll go through a gallon of milk a week. And then Cindy just starts crying. <laughs> It's probably more opposite, right? 
If we're only going through a gallon of milk a week, there's not many people there drinking milk. And that's what this is all uh, hinting at, that, that the king of Assyria is going to come. There's going to be a whole bunch of people wiped out. But remember, he said that when Emmanuel is grown up, he'll eat curds and honey. He's giving him a promise. There's going to be a whole bunch of people wiped out, but your boy is still going to be here. Your son, your son will last through here. And then he goes on in that day where there used to be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver, there will be briars and thorns. With bow and arrows, a man will come there for all the land will be briars and thorns. All the hills that used to be hoed with a hoe, you'll come there. you won't come there for fear of briars and thorns and cattle will graze there. So all their farms are just going to be turned into to weed, weed plots and be overgrown because there isn't going to be anybody to left to farm it. So he's saying all this to Isaiah, and Isaiah is saying it to the people, that this terrible thing is going to happen to us, but God is with us, and God is close to us. God is near to us. Um, poor Isaiah, his family was pretty wild. His second son was born, and God told him, um, this is some good Bible trivia too, Name him, you're going to name him according to his name because when the Assyrians come, they're going to be quick to the spoil and fast to the plunder. They're just going to take everything really fast. And so you've got to name him that. And in Hebrew, that's Maher Shalal Hashbaz, which is the longest name in the Bible. So Emmanuel and his little brother, Maher Shalal Hashbaz, swift to the spoil, quick to the plunder. I hope he was a fast kid named that, right? That would be bad. All right, now we're going to skip over to Micah, chapter 5. And there's some wild prophecy in here. Well, so Isaiah, he says all that. It applies to them at the current time, right? The Assyrians are about to come. It also applies to Jesus, because the actual concept that God would be with us is going to be made that much more real. Does that make sense? That's, that's, that was the connection there. Okay, Micah chapter 5. This is 400 years, 400 B.C. Muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. So this army is coming to beat up Israel and to tear down Israel. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you, Bethlehem, who, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. So he's saying, Bethlehem, you're, you're not even big enough. Bethlehem isn't a tribe, right? It's a, it's a little city within a tribe. From you, Bethlehem, is going to come a ruler, a judge, a, a, um, a ruler whose coming forth is from old, is from ancient days. So he's been coming for a long time. We've long awaited him. And, and that ancient of days is what God is called in the book of Daniel. Daniel refers to the ancient of days. So that would immediately, you'd be like, oh, oh, 
God is going to come to us from Bethlehem. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. So this one that's coming from ancient times is going to come to them to rule Israel. He's going to come from Bethlehem. He's going to be in in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord. And he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. All right. There's a whole lot there. So what's going on? I want you to imagine that this is all being told like a song, like a ballad. Like we're we're telling this tale and as we tell the tale, we're referring to all these other things to get your emotions, you know, really, really in here. Right. Like like if I said he walked in like a nut clubber on the Sunday after the fall festival. What's that like? (gasps) Right. (laughs) Like a pastor after five Christmas services. You know what that means. There's a whole bunch of stuff in here that's that kind of thing. It's an idiom that if you, if you had the whole Old Testament memorized and it was the only entertainment you had was to talk about the Old Testament all the time, there's a bunch of things in here that would, you'd be like, oh man, oh wow, oh gosh, just like that. So we're going to try to do some of those, okay? Um, so the coming Messiah that comes that's from old, from ancient of days, it's going to come from Bethlehem, is going, when Assyria comes into our lead and treads in our palaces, he's going to raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes. Well, this is in 400 BC. The Assyrians came in the 500s and the 600s, like 200 years before this. They're not talking in Malachi that the Assyrians are at their gate and they're ready to come. It's like, gosh, do you guys remember how awful it was when the Assyrians came? Well, this Messiah, whenever that happens again, he is going to run them off. He's going to show them. The land of Nimrod. All right, so Nimrod is in Genesis. You guys, this is how far back they refer in their history. Nimrod is in Genesis chapter uh, 11. And he is this big warlord fighter guy. And he basically, and um, you're not going to read this. You'll read this in a study Bible and you'll read this in archaeological theories. You, you only get about four verses. But basically Nimrod is the guy that was in charge of building the Tower of Babel. So Nimrod is the guy that led people to rebel against God in in the greatest rebellion against God since Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden is the Tower of Babel. And so they get scattered. So Nimrod is just, if, if I say this guy that's the son of Nimrod, whether it's his son or his grandson or his great-grandson or his descendant, you automatically know, bad guy, 
right? Bad dude. If he's a descendant of Nimrod, he's bad. Well, guess who else descended from Nimrod? The Assyrians. So if you're an Assyrian son of Nimrod, you're like bad son of bad, double bad. Does that make sense? You're just, stay away. Don't let your daughter go out with him. Bad news. So when Assyria comes, the land of Assyria comes, with the, it comes to fight. When Nimrod, the land of Nimrod comes from, from all the entrances they come into, your, into Israel, this guy from ancient of days is going to shepherd them with a sword. Yeah! Right? So shepherd them with a sword. You don't shepherd with a sword. You kick butt. You wipe them out. You destroy them. And that's what the, this ancient of days, ruler of Israel, born in Bethlehem, is going to do. Now, the other awesome thing is this isn't about geography at all, is it? Because what is Assyria? Assyria represents the evildoers. The, Assyria is who God called on to judge Israel. They're, they are evil. They are the embodiment of evil. They're the symbol of evil. I mean, they really were evil. But they're, they're the bad thing. And so what's the bad thing to us is sin, right? And so that's what, that's what this, this chosen one, zip back up here, little old Bethlehem, out of you is going to come one that's ancient of days. And he's so tough, he could, he could beat up Assyrian descendants of Nimrod. He could beat the baddest, worstest, most awful thing that could happen to you. He will beat it. He will destroy it. All right. If you are free from the Assyrians, you are free indeed. That was the best kind of freedom you could have. So, Nimrod's in Genesis mentioned it by Malachi, and then everybody would sit and wait. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Let's go back to Deuteronomy. So Moses is talking to God in Deuteronomy, and they're having these different squabbles. People are listening. People aren't listening. And Deuteronomy 18.18, 18, it's easy to remember. Deuteronomy 18.18, 18, God tells Moses about Jesus. He tells Moses about the Messiah that will come. So Deuteronomy 18, 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he will speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he will speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. That's Deuteronomy 18, 18 and 19. So there are some people, several million people, that think that the prophet prophesied right there is Muhammad. And that is um, an argument in Islam that they, that they hold that up. Listen to this. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. He's going to be from who? The Jews. From the people, from the Jewish people is going to come a brother. 
I'll put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. There is no single word that God says that this prophet won't say. He's going to say everything he commands him. Um, Every other religion, which is really wild, every other religion, their holy guy at some point made a mistake and didn't do exactly what God told them to do, except Jesus. Jesus did it all perfectly. He shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Jesus said there's only one sin that's unforgivable. And that's the sin against the Holy Spirit. And in the context of what he's saying is, is that the works that he is doing are by the power of the Holy Spirit because he was sent by God. And so to sin against the Holy Spirit is to not believe that Jesus was sent by God. That's, that's what that means. And that fits with Romans. Whoever believes in the name of the Lord, whoever believes in Jesus, will be saved. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. I myself, he says, he'll speak everything, I myself, but if they don't believe it, I myself will require it of him. That's the great exchange. That when you, as soon as you believe in Jesus, all of the punishment and condemnation and judgment that you deserve is immediately transferred to him. And all of the righteousness and royalty and glory that he deserves is transferred to you. It's the great exchange. Deuteronomy talks about Jesus. All right. Now we got to go to the best one. I saved the best one for last. Back to Isaiah 9. So Isaiah 7, Isaiah has a boy named Emmanuel. Isaiah 8, Isaiah has a boy, much to his wife's chagrin, named Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Maybe much to Maher Shalal Hashbaz's chagrin that he was named that. What? You, can't, you can't shorten it. Come here, Maher. Then, then it's only... Quick, right? Full name. All right, Isaiah chapter 9. Again, Isaiah is talking about something that's current right now. It's happening to Isaiah. People can walk out on the street and they can see it. But it also refers to what's going to happen when the Messiah comes. But it also refers to what's going to happen when all of this current age is wiped out and there's a new heaven and a new earth. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. So this isn't just uh, like it's nighttime. Um, Both of these words mean death. And the first darkness... The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. That's like um, not being able to see things, darkness. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, that is uh, you've dug a hole and you're in your grave and you're just waiting to die. 
the, the shadow of death is upon you. It's, it is dead, 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 death, dead. For those that have walked in that, they've seen a great light. On those people in that state, a great light has shone. Verse 3, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoils. Back to Malar Shalar Shalash Baz, right? The spoils, the celebration. It's like payday, right? It's rejoicing when your tax check comes in. It's rejoicing Christmas night. No, Boxing Day, the 26th, when that kid sits there and looks across their room at all the junk they got yesterday. God multiplies. Just look at what a change that is. People sitting in the deepest darkness of hopeless death are now rejoicing like people bringing in the harvest. Yes. Yeah. When they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. Those are all bad things. The yoke of his burden is the big wooden thing that a cow would pull along to pull the plow. Sometimes they you know, put people in stocks or they put heavy... Oh, yes. The staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Remember the day of Midian, everybody? <laughs> no. All right, so here's how you remember this one. Midian, the day of Midian, Gideon was there on the day of Midian. So I think it was two weeks ago, actually. Gideon sneaks into the tent, sneaks into the camp. There's thousands and tens of thousands of Midianites. And they say, this one guy says, I had a dream that this big roll of cheese rolled down the hill, knocked over a tent and knocked the whole tent down. And the other guy says, oh my gosh, that cheese is Gideon and we're all going to die. <laughs> Dreams are weird. <laughs> That's what Midian is on the day of Midian. So Gideon goes out with their torches and their horns and they surround him. And there's 300 torches. And you would have one guy with a torch for every thousand soldiers. Right? So when they blow, the, you'd have one torch, one horn for every thousand soldiers. So when there's 300, 300 torches and horns, they wake up the Midianites. The Midianites think, we're surrounded by the biggest army ever. And they all go into a just totally spaz and start chopping each other and fighting each other, and they all die. And Gideon celebrates. 300 beat 300,000. And it's a victory. That's what the day of Midian is. So hold that in your head, that miraculous victory. The yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Did Gideon have to fight any in that initial part? All he did was shine light and blow the trumpet. It was total rejoicing, total celebration. And in that rejoicing and celebration, God did all the work. Isn't that wild? I mean, what a picture of our salvation that is. 
You've broken as on the day of Midian for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult. It's all the chaos of war. Every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. The other thing that's going on there, it's, it's really weird words. Every boot and every garment for war is going to be burned up. So not, now Isaiah isn't just talking about right now with the Syria on the borders. And Isaiah isn't just talking about when the Messiah comes. He's talking about the end of the age. Any tool used for war will be burned up. There's not going to be any more fighting. There's not going to be any more war. There's not going to be any more conflict. Even the boots, every garment, the whole bit is all going to be burned up because war, all wars are going to be over. Why? Verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9. This is one of those good memory verses. Unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He will be all of those things to us. He will be a wonderful counselor. Counselor can mean lawyer, like somebody that, that uh, goes to bat for you and sticks up for you. Counselor can also be an advisor that tells you what to do and gives you wise counsel, right? Mighty God, everlasting Father. He's telling this, telling this to these guys, the Assyrians are coming and a lot of the fathers are going to die in this war. And it's going to be brought that they are not everlasting. But God is going to send this guy and he will not lose. He will not lose his life fighting the Assyrians. Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Just think about Israel, how beat down they were, and they would look back to King David and be like, man, that was the best time ever. This guy's going to be on the throne of King David. He's going to be, it's going to be like King David time again. The very last line of uh, chapter 9, verse 7, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is why we never have to feel guilty because I'm not a good enough missionary. I'm not a good enough evangelist. I'm not a good enough preacher. I don't share the gospel enough. It's not my zeal that's going to make this happen. It's the Lord's zeal. The Lord wants to do this more than any of us ever could. And we can trust Him. And we can rely on Him. He's more capable than we are. We get to take part in it, and that is an honor, and that's amazing, and that is grace. But it's the Lord's zeal that will do it. So all of that, Isaiah happens in the, in the 600s and the 500s B.C. Malachi in 400 B.C. says, I'll send my messenger who will prepare the way before him, and suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come. The messenger of the covenant, covenant whom you desire will come. That's in Malachi 3.1. And then they waited 400 years. So with all of that, I want to read the, 
the last thing I want to read is the first thing I read, which is in Galatians 4. This is Paul writing with all of this stuff that we've talked about today. He's talking about heirs and slaves and children of the master and all this business. And then he says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The perfect time God came, Jesus came and redeemed us so we could be adopted as sons and daughters. And then Galatians 4, 6, because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts that we can cry, Abba, Father. Oh, my God, my daddy, my father. You are no longer a slave, but you are a son and a daughter. And therefore, you're also an heir. You are part of the family. You aren't just a part of the family by name, but part of the inheritance, which is God himself is yours. Let's pray. Lord, you did it through all history, through all time. The salvation that you wanted to give us, you gave to us. And you gave it to us with no fight of our own except just raising torches and trumpets and celebrating your salvation. We praise your holy name, Lord. We praise your holy name that we do get to celebrate Advent that we do get to celebrate the coming of our Lord. And we want to do that with all of our hearts, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Amen.